this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. We're talking about taking a stand for God's absolute best in your life. But too often we will tend to trade down, we'll tend to settle for way less than even second best. How can we avoid trading down? How can we stand for God's absolute best for our lives? Hey, just a heads up about this recording. This message was preached on a snow day, yet we didn't meet together, so I did this via live stream from my house using my built-in to my iPad microphone. So the sound quality is not great, but this message is so important. I hope that you can bear with the quality issues and get out of it what I hoped to put into it. We started talking three weeks ago about taking a stand because the world around us is crumbling. It's obvious. It's falling apart. It's coming apart at the seams. Jesus told us it was going to be really bad, and and so we should not be surprised by this. In fact, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better, and it's only going to get better because of him. It's not going to get better because the right political party gets elected. It's not going to get better because uh, the world just decides to turn around. It's only going to get better uh, by one of two things. Uh, divine intervention, miraculous spiritual awakening like, like we've never seen before. Or he's just going to come get us and he's going to end it all here and then we'll get to live with him. So we're kind of aiming for, for that. We're kind of living for the there and then a little bit. Uh, but we got to make do now in the here and now. We don't want to miss the there and then, and we don't want anybody around us to miss the there and then. And we want to be able to stand, stand firm for his glory to be seen. We, we don't want to miss one thing that he has for us, despite how bad it might get here. And so the last couple of weeks, the last week, we I guess, really, we started looking at Romans 5, 1 and 2. And last week, I showed you the English Standard Version translation of uh, that passage, which says this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So that's what we're looking forward to. We, we rejoice, we stand in his grace, and we eagerly anticipate looking forward confidently and joyfully to the glory of God. So we've been looking at the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version of this verse, but today I want to show you a different translation. I want, I want us to look at the New Living Translation because the translators of that version, they took kind of a really different approach in this verse. Um, instead of just using the words that you see, you know, right here, um, uh, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace, they've kind of taken a different approach. Instead of translating the Greek word charis, which means grace, uh, they have instead chosen to use the definition of the word charis, which means grace. So here's what they, how they translate verse two of Romans five. They say, because of our faith, 
This is Paul writing, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, look at this, of undeserved privilege. Instead of just saying this grace, they say this undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Yeah, so uh, they really have chosen a really different approach here. Instead of just saying grace, they've defined grace. They've used the definition. I think that they've done that really well. Uh, the Greek word charis literally means grace, which literally is defined as undeserved privilege. In fact, the word charis is translated as privilege in other parts of the scripture. So you and I are super privileged. We have undeserved privilege, right? That's what Paul is telling us here. And privilege today in our culture has kind of become a negative word, hasn't it? Right? I mean, you think about privilege and it's got kind of a bad thing. Privilege is uh, where you get to live with something that you didn't earn. You're born into a better life than others. Privilege is, you know, when you live in a house that someone else built. You drive the nicest cars that someone else paid for. You know, you have access where everyone else is restricted. You get to enjoy the benefits while others go without. So privilege is, is kind of a negative term now because, you know, anyone naturally, human nature, they envy the privilege. They are jealous of the privilege. They perceive a great unfairness among the privilege because privilege is this. If you're following along on the Bible app, privilege means uh, that you're having it all given to you. Privilege means that you are having it all given to you. And that's exactly who we are. Paul is telling us that this is exactly who you and I are. We are the privileged. You and I weren't initially born into that privilege. We're born into human nature. In fact, Paul also writes in Ephesians chapter two that by your very nature, he says, you were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. You're, you're born in the human flesh nature, just like everybody else. And that nature is a sin nature. It's a broken nature. The reason the world is crumbling around us is because it's broken. It's sinful. It's against God. And so our original birth makes us a criminal against a holy God, subject to his judgment. So we all deserve death for what we've done. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus came here and he had no sin of his own, yet he went to the cross and he took the judgment that I deserved. And he took my punishment and your punishment on himself on the cross. And he died for your sin. He paid the price that you and I should have paid. He died for us dead and cold. But then three days later, he was raised from the dead. And now he lives to change you completely, to transform you from broken into somebody that is complete, somebody who's being made 
whole. He is piecing you back together again. Now, because of Jesus, you are born again into the most amazing, eternal, powerful, and glorious privilege that any human could ever possibly have. That's good news. Paul says also in Romans 8 that we are children and heirs to the throne of Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ, he says. We share in his sufferings here, but we will share in his glory there. Yeah, we have the ultimate privilege. You are a person of privilege because of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, 21, Paul says it this way, you were his enemies, separated him, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Man, that's, that's incredible. I, I know what I've done. I know who I am. I know how I've broken his heart by breaking his law time and time again. But now I stand holy and blameless before him without a single fault. He doesn't see my sin anymore. He sees his son instead. But he says, he goes on, look at this. He says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Yeah, so he's saying that you stand in this, stand in this. Don't, don't drift away. This is what you stand in. You stand in this grace that is him and you stand for the glory of God. This isn't about you. This isn't about what you've done or what you've achieved. It's, it's not... Privilege isn't something you earn. Privilege is something you've given. And so you live in response to him for that. You live your life in a manner worthy of that. You live to say, this is all because of Jesus, not because of me. In other words, if you're following along in your notes, uh, I stand for him to be seen. I'm standing, you and I, we stand in his grace for his glory. It's all about him. Does that, does that make sense so far? Uh, how's that landing on you so far? I'd love to hear in the comments about how you're thinking about this. Um, so it's good to see that we've got some people watching from the campground here in Kusawati. Thank you uh, for watching along with us. Um, great, Gail, that you got your Bible open. Thank you so much for participating this morning with that. Stephen, I'm glad Miranda showed you that uh, they got snow in Mississippi. I guess everybody gets snow except us. <laughs> oh, well, uh, let me know. Let me know how this is landing on you about this privilege that you are born again into and how you stand for him to be seen. I stand for the glory of God. His glory is the highest value. His glory brings humanity its highest level of freedom. His glory gives you the greatest amount of power. His glory will be fully seen there and then, and I get to stand for that here and now. It's my privilege to be able to do that. 
But let's be honest, it's, it's hard to see that glory a lot of times in the here and now, right? It's hard to see that. Sort of like it's hard to, it's hard to see the snow right now outside. Hard to see that uh, because this world, let's be honest, this world is messed up, am I right? Can I at least get an amen from you on that, on the live stream? This world is messed up. Seems like it's getting more and more messed up all the time. Seems like every time there's some kind of new law or ruling, it's a crazier dysfunctional one. It seems like every time we think we know what's right in a situation, we we tend to choose what's wrong. This world's glorifying all the filth and the smut and the violence, and they are suppressing and deplatforming the godly and the righteous and the common sense. This world is messed up. I've been talking about that the last few weeks. You know, this world glorifies and exalts all the things that God hates. It's messed up. And here's the thing. This world is not just broken, but it is breaking even more. It's not just broken, but it's always breaking. There's always a new crisis. There's always a new problem. There's always a new disaster that we just can't quite hold together. As hard as we try, there's always something new that we just can't hold together. Have you experienced that in your life? Do you you know what it's like to just feel like you can't hold it together? You know, the inflation gets so bad that you just can't deal with it anymore. The pandemic is so crazy that it just drives you nuts and it makes you angry. Maybe it's something really super personal. Maybe it's the divorce that happens. You tried to hold the marriage together, but you can't. Or the sickness hit, you know, and, you, and you've tried and tried to do the best you can to stay healthy, but you're like my wife, you're downstairs in the bed and you just can't get up. Maybe the pain has gripped you and it won't let go. Maybe it's the loneliness and the isolation and you feel like you just can't hold it together. And it's often when, when, when the breaking is happening, we get right in the middle of it and everything seems to be crumbling around us. Our lives, our world seems to be falling apart. And that's when we start to lose sight of his glory. We lose sight of what we're standing for. And that's when we begin to fall, right? That's when we begin to step off the firm foundation and we trade down from the highest and the best. We trade down to what we will be able to deal with. I was thinking about how to illustrate this and I I couldn't think of a better way to illustrate it than to show you how God has illustrated it for us in the story of Jacob and Esau. It's in Genesis 25, and you probably know the story. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Esau was the oldest, Jacob was the younger. Esau was kind of an idiot sometimes. (laughs) And Jacob was a real deceiver, a conniver. And so Esau, the older one, was always out in the field, always hunting, always bringing home venison for his father, his aged, aged father now. And uh, Jacob was the, you know, homeboy. He was the mama's boy. He always stayed at home near the house. You know, he would cook soup and take care of the things around the house while Esau, the manly brother, was out in the fields. And so um, in Genesis 5, we find this story. We kind of catch up with the two of them. 
And, uh, oops, that's the wrong verse. Let me get the right one. Here we go. Genesis 25. Look at this. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Been out there hunting, and now he's really, really tired. So Esau says to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Smells that good smell of the stew that Jacob has been cooking, and he really wants some. He's starving for that. Probably lentil stew, but you know, when you're really hungry, you'll, you'll eat anything. So uh, here's what happens. All right, Jacob replies. I'll tell you what, you trade me your rights as the firstborn son. This is a big deal. Esau's the oldest, and so he's the child of the birthright. He's the privileged child. He's the one living in privilege. He's entitled to a double portion of the inheritance from all of his other siblings. He's entitled, he's privileged, he's going to be the leader of the family. He's the one that as his father diminishes and even dies, he'll be the one making the decisions for the family. He's the leader and he gets all the stuff. He's privileged. And Jacob says, okay, if you want some soup, you give me your birthright. I'll trade you. I'll trade you soup for your birthright. That doesn't make any sense. That wouldn't make any sense to anyone. But look at what happens. Esau says, look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? What? This doesn't make any sense. But look what happens next. Jacob says, okay, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. There it is. And Esau ate the meal and then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. This is crazy. I mean, he trades his privilege, he trades his birthright, he trades his identity for the there and then for a bowl of soup. It doesn't make any sense. He gives away all of his future and all of his prosperity for not even really a meal, barely a meal. You and I look at the story and we say, well, that's just dumb. Nobody would do that. It doesn't make any sense at all, right? I, I might agree with you if I hadn't seen it kind of happen. Okay, this is not an exact thing, but one day the church staff and I, we went to Canterbury, great little downtown restaurant, really, really good everything. Uh, we went to Canterbury for lunch. We had a big lunch thing down there and uh, it was before Christmas time. And while we were there, uh, there was a husband and wife seated near us and the same waitress that we had was serving them. Apparently, here's how the story goes. Apparently, uh, she, the wife, had ordered a cup of soup, not a bowl of soup, a cup of soup. And when the waitress brought the soup out, it was a bowl instead of a cup. It was a little bit larger than what she had ordered. The woman said, uh, hold on, I, I didn't order a bowl, I ordered a cup. The waitress said, okay, well, I'll, t I'll take it back and bring you a cup. And the wife said, well, no, I'll tell you what, uh, just leave it, and if I if I eat it all, I eat it all, and if not, I'll take it home and have it later. And so the waitress was like, okay, that's fine, you you do that. And so sure enough, the wife ate the entire bowl 
of soup. No big deal. Later on, when the meal is complete, the waitress brings out the check. Husband gets the check and he looks at it and he sees that they were charged for, lo and behold, a bowl of soup. A bowl of soup. Sound familiar? And so the husband brings the waitress over. He says, hey, um, I'm not paying for a bowl of soup. We ordered a cup of soup. So I want you to change that to cup, not bowl. And she said, well, um, you know, I'd be happy to do that normally, but I can't do that because she ate the whole bowl. So you ate a bowl. You, you got to pay. My manager's going to make me uh, cover the whole bowl. And this husband apparently got furious. He exploded on the waitress, angry. Couldn't believe that they were getting the upcharge from cup to the little bit larger bowl. He got so mad that he threw his money at her, didn't tip her anything, and stormed out of the restaurant. He lost himself over an upcharge on a bowl of soup. And I don't know who this person was. I don't know if they were a believer. I, you know, I, I don't even know anything about them at all. But I bet if he had seen a video of that whole thing today, he'd be humiliated by it. He'd be embarrassed by it. He, he probably would be shocked that he actually treated another human being that way. He completely lost himself over a bowl of soup. Not even a bowl, half of, a, of an upcharge. I guess an upcharge is all it was. He just lost himself. He traded down like Esau. He could have been somebody of integrity, but instead he traded down and became the person who was really just a jerk and threw his money down. We all do that, don't we? We, we trade down very quickly. When we think the situation has devolved into something we can no longer handle that we can't hold together, we trade down very quickly. We fall apart because this world is broken and it is breaking. It's crumbling all around us. That's just the nature of this world. It's corrupted by sin. And so when we think we can't hold it together, instead we trade down and we settle for what we think we can live with. We settle for what we think is best in the moment. We settle for what we think is best right now. And in this case, with this guy, he traded down. In Esau's case, he traded down miserably and lost out on his future. We settle for that all the time. We trade down quickly. We miss what God has for us. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked at pain in the face and chose the substances over prayer? Have you ever looked at loneliness in the face and chose sexual misconduct over God's integrity for your life? We all trade down really easily because we think we can't hold it together. We think we're gonna miss out on something. We think it's crumbling and we gotta do whatever we gotta do to settle for what's distant, distant, distant second best. Yeah, hold it together, right? Here's what the scripture says about that in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, 
because he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. He holds it together. Of course you feel like you can't hold it together because you can't. It's not your job to hold it together. He alone holds it together. He is the one that does that. This is what we stand in, right? This is what we hold on to. We actually trust. We believers are people who actually believe that we can't keep it together. So we trust that he does. And we will not settle for the distant second. We will not give in to the garbage that this world has to offer. But instead, we will stand for him and for his glory. When you trade down, you're taking your eyes off of him. You're taking your feet and stepping off the firm foundation. When you trade down, you are building on sinking sand. When you trade down, you're settling for much, much less for what will ultimately come crashing all the way down. When you trade down, you're giving away your birthright and you're settling for lentil soup. So, when he leaves you again, when the loneliness is paralyzing, when the pain grips you and won't subside, when the fear is overwhelming, when your credit is about to be ruined because of the medical bills, when you find yourself in the restaurant and you receive what you didn't order, just remember that this world is broken and it is breaking. That's just the way it's going to be here. And you can't hold it together. I know your flesh nature is to try, but you can't. He alone holds it together. Do you trust him? Will you stand in that faith? So we are to do this. We are to, according to Peter, we are to prepare our minds for action and to exercise self-control. You see that? We've got to be prepared for this. If you're not ready, if your mind is not set on him, if your eyes are not focused on him, if you're not running in a straight line toward him, if, if you're not ready, you're going to easily come right off that firm foundation. You're going to easily trade right down and miss out and become part of the brokenness yourself. Prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. That's what we're doing in this message series, and that's what I'm wanting to roll out for you over the next couple of weeks. Starting next Sunday, I'm gonna start giving you very practical ways that you can begin to prepare your mind, begin to set your course, begin to stand firm on that foundation. You have been drifting for far too long and your kids deserve better. Your spouse deserves better. You are a person of privilege. You deserve better. So stand, keep coming back. Next Sunday, we're going to be really breaking this down and looking at how we need to start standing together in this. Because your house isn't just being built for the there and the then. 
as you build your house, you're building holy, glorious, beautiful spaces for Christ to work here, right? As you build, you'll be knowing him and seeing him and growing in him more and more and others around you will be seeing him and benefiting from him more and more, right? That's who you are supposed to be. That's who I'm supposed to be. So all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. If you want to experience his best, he says yes in Christ to you. That's what it's all about. It's all for his glory. So as you build, you're building a humble, obedient, faithful servant self that creates space here for others to discover how wonderful he is, for you to provide a home, a solid, firm foundation home for your family and your friends and everybody around you. That's what it's all about. You are glorifying him here. You're sharing in the glory of God with others here. In other words, what you're doing is you're bringing the there and then right into the here and now. You're literally bringing heaven to earth right here as you let God be seen in all of his glory. <laughs>